Hi, I'm Richard Burnaby, and welcome to my podcast, Beyond the Lens. In each episode, I'll be speaking with inspiring people to discuss photography, the arts, travel, conservation, entrepreneurship, and much more. Today, I'm joined by Mark Cook, president and board member of Wolves of the Rockies. Founded in 2011, they use advocacy and education to protect and defend the wolves of Yellowstone National Park in the Rocky Mountains, while trying to enact positive change for all wolves across the country. Mark is incredibly passionate about defending and protecting Montana's wolves and wildlife, and has been a member of numerous local committees dedicated to conservation and forest restoration. A proud U.S. military veteran, Mark has served in Desert Storm and Desert Shield, has called Montana home for more than 20 years. His passion for protecting the Rocky Mountain wolves has led to a full-time volunteer job. I'm extremely excited to have this conversation, so without further ado, here's Mark Cook. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Richard, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to do this. I'm excited as well. It's my pleasure. Okay, first, let's go back in time just a bit. At one time, wolves were plentiful throughout North America. Then in 1926, the last wolf pack was extirpated from Yellowstone National Park. And well, you know, from everywhere in North America, for that matter, at least a little lower 48 of the U.S. 1974, a year after the Endangered Species Act was enacted, gray wolves received federal protection under that act. And then in 1995, gray wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone National Park. Can you describe the degree of success of that reintroduction? Oh, my gosh. You know, there there were two releases. There was a soft release, which was they just flew the wolves in and, and let them go in Idaho in the Frank Church wilderness. Um, and then there was the Yellowstone release, which was uh, a soft release where the wolves were actually put into pens and acclimated. So what I'm saying is when, you know, five years after this, wolves were well on their way to reestablishing themselves and bringing about change to the overall uh, environment. You know, the, a positive change to the environment where animals were overgrazing, uh, rivers were running uh, warmer, uh, wildlife was, you know, birds and things were having a difficult time uh, finding place to nest along riverbeds. Wolves have really changed the picture back to what it was originally. And uh, up until recently, it's a great success. I would, I would agree. Now we're going to skip ahead to recent history. I know I'm sure. going to skip over a few things, but in, in 2020, gray wolves were delisted as endangered, and it was left right. up to the states to manage the wolf populations. Right. Uh, with regard to Yellowstone, the wolves were protected within the park boundaries, but not the states surrounding the park. Right. Montana, Wyoming, Idaho have created legal hunting and trapping seasons for wolves. And the park's wolf populations have plummeted since 2020. Right. Since wolves don't recognize man-made political borders. Right. If I got this right, mostly so far. Oh, absolutely. What you're seeing is you, and, and I'm hope, I don't want to be too technical. So if there's something someone doesn't understand, please stop me. Cause I have a tendency to, think everybody is as involved as we are. No, please go on. What you have is you have Yellowstone, which is a preservation uh, towards wildlife. And then you have the states that surround Yellowstone, the ones you mentioned, the Rocky Mountain states, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. They're a conservation. So they have a tendency to kill things where Yellowstone is preserving them and studying them. 
Um, yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right. When they leave the park, which they don't do very often, um, bad things happen. But the reason some of these things happen is, is nature itself. Um, every year, for probably thousands of years, elk migrate out of the park to their winter grounds where there's better forage and it holds them through the winter. So as the elk migrate out of the park, some of the bison migrate out of the park, these are what wolves eat on. So they will follow the elk when they leave the park. And what happens is you have outfitters that are just above the park. And I mean, literally almost a stone's throw from the park. As these elk come out of the park, they'll shoot the elk, they'll clean the elk out, and then they'll, it's, it's baiting in a sense. They'll just sit over those gut piles and wait for the wolves to come. That's what I've heard. It's, it's almost purposely pulling them out and, and setting them up for the hunt. You know, we've, we have fought this for 10 years, saying that it's unethical. And it, and it is unethical. It, it's baiting. Um, but in the recent legislation, uh, 2021 Montana legislation, they passed a bill where they said it was okay to bait. Well, let's skip ahead now to even more recent history. In 2020, the gray wolves were delisted as endangered. And then very recently, like the last few months, a federal judge rescinded the delisting, but not for the wolves of the greater Yellowstone region. Right. So, so what's going on here? So what's happened is, you know, while we're really happy, it's, it's a bittersweet moment. We're actually really happy that wolves are, most of the United States are being protected. That, that had to happen because they're not, things aren't going well. In Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, around 2011, there was a senator named John Tester, and he's still senator in Montana. He attached a bill a, what they call a rider to a must pass bill in for the Senate and the bill passed, Obama signed it, it became law. What that rider did was it naturally delisted wolves in Montana, Idaho and Wyoming, the Rocky Mountain states. And further, the, to make matters worse, the damage done was that we could not litigate against it. There was a no judicial review policy attached to it. So even if we wanted to pursue litigation, we couldn't do it. So that's what opened the door to the, the road we're going down. But one thing you have to remember is as when these when this bill was passed, we had a no judicial review. There's a five-year overview when wolves are delisted the Fed stays and watches wolf management in each state for five years. During those five years, for the most part, Montana and Idaho um, did a, you know, not what I like, but a fairly decent job managing them. But when the five-year review period was over and the states could actually take total control with uh, immunity, things started to go wrong. And that five years is up. Yeah, it's, it's up quite a while. It's, it's probably up for about four or five years now. Okay. So I, I really dislike politics. I don't like talking about politics, especially when it doesn't involve ideas anymore. It seems to be 
instinctively tribal, right. but it's hard hard to ignore the the, the role in politics in this, um, especially in the region you're in, the Yellowstone region. So right. there was a a recent Washington Post article. You probably read it um, March fourth. Right. And it goes into some of the local politics of the individual states. And I'm just going to read a little bit from this real quick. I promise you can have a lot more time to talk. I'm not sure, no monopolize your time. Uh, the, the Wyoming governor, which who's a Republican, signed a bill allowing the killing of 90% of the state's wolves. 90%. Right. Idaho's governor, also a Republican, Brad Little, signed a bill allowing the killing of 85% of the state's wolves. And then... Greg Gianforte, which who I'm sure you're, you know very well, Montana's Republican governor, personally shot and killed a wolf with a research radio collar, yeah. and parenthetically, he also shot and killed a, a mountain lion with a research radio collar as well. Right. And of course, it was the Trump administration that delisted in 2020. So the, the Post goes on to say that there's a quote stick it to the liberals flavor to all this. So I guess my question is. How in the world do you succeed against these political headwinds without any federal help? You have to, what we're doing now is helping. We have to get the word out on the mismanagement of wildlife. And the way we're doing that is working with groups and organizations like yourself. Um, the day-to-day -day grind um, dealing with the administrations and the lack of transparencies in these administrations is tough. It, to be honest with you, uh, we have always, Wolves of the Rockies has always prided itself on finding homegrown solutions. We never litigated, never. We, did, we just, we figured the long-term, when you start litigating, there's always pushback. So, that doesn't happen anymore. We started litigating because we had no other choice. Uh, the department, Fish, Wildlife and Parks, Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks won't work with us. Uh, they withhold information. The Gene Forte administration is the same. The Little administration is the same. Um, they're terrible. And the only thing you can do is to keep pushing forward. I mean, you, you don't have an option here. You can't just give up. There's too much at stake. And the, the, the bottom line on this is, for the most part, the majority of Americans, whether you like it or not, support wildlife, support wolves on the landscape. Whether they'll ever see one or not, they want to know that they're here. Right. So you just need to keep pushing, um, developing relationships. And when you have to, you have to have a stick. Go after the departments because they, they, they're breaking their own rules. Let's talk a little bit about your organization. Wolves sure. of the Rockies. What do you do? Uh, what's mm -hmm. your mission? Our mission is to protect and defend wolves that call the Rocky Mountains their home by organizing individuals that are interested throughout the world in this wildlife, this particular creature. Um, we are their voice. Um, and up until um, we came along, and, and I'm not bragging about this, this is a fact, up until we came along, there really weren't a lot of grassroots organizations that were out there protecting wolves. Um, you would see people come and go, but we have been consistent over the last 10, 12 years. If there's a meeting about wolves with decision makers, you can bet we'll be there. And Montana's a big state, 144,000 square miles, so we do a lot of driving. But sure. you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of this organization. 
You know, I, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, is that people have say here, the states can't manage wildlife. It, it's clear. And what they're doing to the wolves today, you have my word, they're going to do to the grizzly bear as soon as they're delisted. So we need to, if you value these animals, it only takes a blink of time, takes less than a minute to do this. You need to leave a comment to protect these wolves. And the way you can do that is if you go to um, relistwolves.org, uh, we'll walk you through how to do it. Can you repeat that one more time? Sure. It's, if you want to leave a comment, we'll walk you through to the federal government. If you want to leave a comment, go to relistwolves.org. Relistwolves.org. And what we'll do is we will walk you through on how you can leave a comment for the uh, Biden administration. And we need to protect these wolves because clearly, and this is no exaggeration, clearly the state wildlife and the state game agencies cannot manage large carnivores like wolves and soon grizzly bears. Can you talk about some of the recent numbers uh, that you, you, we both know this is pretty dire uh, the last oh. couple of years. Do you have any numbers to share or can you, can you talk about how dire it is? Montana counts wolves with an algorithm called patch, integrated patch occupancy modeling. Now in its entirety, the integrated patch occupancy modeling hasn't been reviewed, peer reviewed. So there's some questions. To make matters worse, they get a count, Montana gets a count on wolves only from the hunting community. They don't take any other information from any other community. So we believe there's a bias. But up until about a year and a half ago, Montana was telling us there was 1,156 wolves in Montana. We have always challenged that number. And it's not, not so much the number, but it's the method that's used, the Integrated Patch Occupancy Modeling, or IPOM. So let's just say there's 1,156 wolves in Montana. We killed this year, sadly, 273 wolves. But now there's things they're not telling you. When I say they, I mean Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. What they're not telling you is wildlife service control actions killed another about 50 wolves. We have Senate Bill 200, which was passed six years ago or so, um, which allows an individual that has a wolf on their property, if they feel threatened or their livestock or something that they own, they feel threatened, they can kill that animal. So there, that ranges another 10 to 20 animals, 10 to 20 wolves that are killed. So what I'm saying is, yeah, they're, they're throwing this number and it's a terrible number, 273, but then you have wolves on top of that that are killed that they're not telling you. So when you do the math, these animals are slowly moving down. In the 2021 Montana legislature, they passed a snaring bill. Uh, you know, um, you can now snare uh, wolves and other wildlife. Um, they put out a bounty bill. Think about this. This is 2022, and we now have a bounty bill for wolves in Montana and Idaho. I mean, gosh. That's going back 100 years ago when they had bounty bills for um, yeah. killing wolves. Yeah, it's crazy. So you can get, if you kill a wolf, you can get anywhere from $500 to 
That's well, insane. It, it, it's crazy. It's this isn't this isn't management. This is mismanagement, and and it's the slaughter of a species. But what I'm getting at is, with the bills that were passed in Montana, they the legislative body's intent was to make it easier to kill more wolves. Okay, now keep that on the side. I want you to think about this. The past years, last 10 years or so, that wolves have been hunted, hunted in Montana, the number has increased each year that they killed. Last year, I think, was you know prior to this year, this season just closing. The year prior, we did like 326 wolves were killed. And that's without the Wildlife Service control actions and the other information. This year, the season closed, they killed 273 wolves, but they allowed more techniques, they allowed more access, they extended the seasons to kill these animals. And actually the season closed March 15th. I want you to think about this too. We have a bounty bill and now we're hunting midterm pregnant wolves. We are racing to the bottom of the barrel for ethics and morals. What about uh, going into their dens? Oh, you, you can do that. They do that in Idaho. Yeah. And then I want you to think about that. They go in, they kill a, they kill a bunch of wolves. Say they kill, you know, an average litter is five to seven wolves. They kill the mother. They kill the father. You can walk away with, you know, $15,000, $20,000 in bounty payments. And the motivation for the states in enacting these bounty bills is what exactly? They want to, okay, the argument's been made from the trapping community and the hunting community um, that it's really hard to kill wolves. And it takes a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of commitment. So I have to drive. If I'm trapping, I may have a trap line that's 300 miles long. And I have to spend a lot of money on gas driving back and forth. So what they're trying to do is they call it a reimbursement bill. When somebody kills an animal and puts in a request for payment, they will be paid that money out of private funds for the moment. But Rich, let me, let me circle back just quickly to this number 273, because it ties into IPOM, the Integrated Patch Occupancy Modeling, the method used to count wolves. Every year up until two years ago, wolf populations for mortality from hunting has been increasing. This season, it decreased, went to 273. So how they're telling us that they have 1,156 wolves, more than they've ever had before, but yet they've extended the season, they've extended the techniques, they've extended, um, you know, they've even have a bounty now on these wolves, but yet the number dropped. What this is telling us is that this method for counting wolves is not accurate. It's not reliable. There are not 1,156 wolves in Montana at the start of the hunting season last year, um, September of 2021. We don't have that number. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, that could be a possibility, although the Montana Fish, Wildlife and Tar Parks doesn't want to admit to it. But now this is where it's really important. The wolves in this area, Idaho, Montana, and uh, Wyoming, are under review 
by the Federal Wildlife Service. And part of that review could get them relisted. The information that is being used to evaluate the relisting of the wolves is, guess what? Patch occupancy modeling from Montana. Which is flawed and biased. There we go. So that's, no input, no input from, from science on this algorithm. It's all from hunting organizations. Right. When, what happens is at the end of every hunting season for elk, elk hunting season, elk is a big thing here. At the end of the season, you will receive a phone call from Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and they're going to ask you several questions. And some of those questions are going to be, did you see a wolf? Did you see signs of a wolf? Where did you see these animals? That's it. They take that information, they plug it into an algorithm, they spit out a number, and that's how many wolves we have in Montana. That's how it works. So what is the motivation for the states to want to kill wolves? Is it uh, wildlife management? Is it preemptively protecting ranchers? Is it just sport? No, it's, it's, it's an irrational hatred towards these animals. And, it, and I want to drive the point home that the federal government has to get involved to relist these wolves. Richard, what you're seeing is, okay, think about this. And I'm not minimizing the effect it has on certain livestock producers. Last year, we lost 61 cattle to probable wolf kills or confirmed wolf, wolf kills. I want you to think about this. And this is the state of this is state of Montana only. This is yeah, this is Montana. We have 144,000 square miles in Montana. We lost 61 cattle. We have 2.6 million cattle in Montana. So it's uh, less than 0.01%. No, and and then and then hear this. And we've supported this in the past. We have what they call the livestock loss board. And what they do is they evaluate losses from wolves. And if you have a loss, you wildlife service comes to your place, they do an investigation, they say it is either it was a wolf kill, it probably was a wolf kill, or it wasn't. If it's the two latter, you will receive a check from the Montana Livestock Loss Board for that loss. And how they determine that is this. If you lose a cow today, at the end of the day, the market value of that cow is determined. So we'll say it's $1,000 for a cow that you just lost. They then take that $1,000 and they have a thing they call a multiplier. And it's a multiplier of three. So that $1,000 now becomes $3,000. So you get a check for $3,000. It's hardly fair. It doesn't seem right. It seems that you're you know, I know livestock producers have a hard time, but it just seems like it's a moneymaker. And we're not too supportive of it. In the past, we've been very supportive of the uh, Livestock Loss Board, but we do what we can to see that they're reimbursed for their losses. But there's little to no effort to use non-lethal measures proactive, non-lethal measures, flagery, fox lights, uh, you know, noise guns to live with these animals. It's just cheaper to have one get killed and then receive reimbursement. 
so what what do you see the bigger challenge is it is it the politics like we talked about or is it more of the because you mentioned fear the fear driven mythical wolf of the mind the collective nightmares of our ancestors the bloodthirsty villains of children's stories like right. big bad wolf little red riding hood three little pigs even that help uh, that weighs into it it's the religious symbolism of the wolf representing the devil or evil while the innocent sheep are the faithful flock i mean this is century after century of this bias that's right. really difficult to overcome. Right. Do you say it's the latter? Absolutely right. You know, yeah, we do see it. Um, and But I think the, the big thing, I hate to say this, but I, but I believe it's the truth, is it comes down to money. The hunting community, the ethical hunting community, does not mind having wolves on the landscape. And I believe... I have a lot of friends that hunt. They don't hunt wolves, but they hunt elk. They want wolves on the landscape. However, the unethical hunting community, like the Safari Club International type, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation type, um, the Foundation for Wildlife Management type, the Montana Outfitters and Guides Association type that make living on these animals, realize you know what? Wolves do kill elk. They don't want the competition. They want these animals dead so they can bring in their high paying clients to hunt trophy, you know, trophy elk without the behavioral change of the elk. And what I mean by that is 20 years ago, 30 years ago, elk didn't migrate. They didn't move so much. They stayed in fields. And they just grazed. There was no threat. Now with the wolves back on the ground, their behavior has changed. This makes hunting what it traditionally was, true hunting, ethical hunting. You go out and you work for that animal. After the wolves were, were killed off, the behavior of the elk modified. And what happened is they became, you know, basically forest cows. They stayed in one place. They didn't have to move. There was no threat except for man, you know, two months a year. I'm not a hunter, um, but I would think that if you were a hunter and it was, you know, part of who you were, you'd almost have this kindred spirit with the uh, wolves, another great hunter, and have that respect for the hunter. I mean, it's because wolves that go after livestock are atypical wolf behavior. Right. That's that's the outliers that right. you would think they would have a with this kindred spiritship with with the wolves and the respect like like the native americans had with the great hunters that's a great analysis and here, here's here's one thing we're working on at realist uh realistwolves.org a lot of the american indian tribes especially in montana value have a, a religious value for these animals and they don't want to see them killed but what you're seeing at the federal government level is a lack of communication with the American Indians in the United States on the value of these animals. American Indians have been living with wolves forever. And they were competing with the wolves for the same elk as well. And they right. didn't seem to have a problem with it. Right, right. Because they coexisted. We don't want that. The unethical hunting community and the trapping community wants it all for me. And here's the thing, Richard, they are the minority. 
It's the tail wagging the dog and wildlife management. The majority just aren't speaking up and saying enough is enough. And that's unfortunately the case. We need to tie the American Indians into this because, listen, this is the religion. How would you, I'm Catholic. How would I feel if somebody came into my house and tore down all my religious symbols? I'd I'd be infuriated. Why would the American Indians feel any different? We need to have consultation with them. The Fed needs to step up to the plate and relist these animals. So I'm going to take a bit of a contrarian view here. Uh, I'm going to be the foil, uh, the devil's advocate. Why do we need wolves? I mean, why should anybody even care? Most people, well over 99%, probably never see a wild wolf in their life. Right. And even someone like me, who is a photographer, I've, I've had... I can count on both hands at times I've seen wolves in the wild. And most of the time they were at such a distance that it wasn't even a legitimate photo opportunity. Right. So why are they important? Why should we even care if they live to or not? It's the unintended consequences of what they do. Okay. First of all, they exist primarily on the weak and the old wildlife, the elk and deer that are out there. So they're kind of, making sure the herd remains strong, honing the strong survive. And in doing this, what happens is they place pressure on animals that graze, whether it be bison, deer, uh, antelope, uh, not so much antelope, but antelope are in there, um, and elk. This makes these animals be more vigilant. They have to look, eat, look, eat, and move. They have to move. This allows the forage to grow properly. And with the forage growing properly, you have, you know, the, the, the bushes are returning, which means, you know, along riverbanks, the bushes over the river, riverbanks um, provide uh, homes for, you know, beaver, otter, birds. The water is colder. The water is cleaner because the banks aren't falling in. They're reinforced. The unintended consequences of these animals, of what they do, is so worth the value of having them here on the landscape. But Richard, it all goes back to money. People don't necessarily, the unethical hunting community doesn't necessarily care if a stream is healthy if a field is healthy, what they care about is getting that animal with the big rack on their wall. And that's, that's part of the disconnect between the unethical hunting community, the trapping community, and the, you know, the person who wants to see the long-term benefit and survival of a healthy ecosystem. So you're talking about the, the willows along the stream beds and sure. uh, the, the grazing. So yeah. what you're basically describing is called a trophic cascade. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And for my, my listeners out there, if you want to check out, there's a, a viral YouTube video called How Wolves Change Rivers. Right. It's probably seven or eight years old. It's gotten well over 40 million views and describes exactly what Mark was describing in, in vivid detail, even though there's been a little bit of pushback from some scientists, but for the most part, I believe this is a, it's accurate. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, it's a no brainer. I mean, we don't need to overthink this. We need little wolves on the landscape. 
so of the of the two drivers here of wilt killing would you say it's more the 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 greed as far as the hunting competition with with sport hunters or I'm not going to say ethical but unethical hunters yes or is it more the livestock that's the inflection point you know i think what what i'm seeing with the livestock community is good i'm seeing a change from you know they're not happy that wolves are here but you know what the, the younger generation is coming along and they're saying hey you know what i want to be a rancher and i'm going to do this right and i'm seeing a change uh, with ranchers and livestock producers that want to live with you know these large carnivores um it's and don't get me wrong it's a bumpy road you know there's mistakes are made but we're doing what we can to help them and they're doing what they can to help themselves to live with these animals. Um, I think some of the old livestock producers, uh, I'm 62, you know, people my age, you know, this is the way my father did it. This is the way his father did it. And this is the only good wolf is a dead wolf. That's changing. That's absolutely changing. And I'm very grateful for the, the progressive livestock producers who are doing that. And you know I'm going to I'm going to stand up for the livestock producers a little bit and it'll probably get me it, it gets me flack all the time. But I want you to think about this. We have these livestock producers in Montana who are trying to live with some wildlife. What would happen if these livestock producers didn't you know maintain and own these lands, these private lands and it's huge swaths of, of land, you know, I mean thousands and thousands of acres are privately owned. They'd be houses. So what I'm saying is we need to live, we need to work with the livestock community, understand their, you know, their, their, their affairs, their concerns and their affairs, and work with them to help them. Because if we didn't have them on the ground, we would lose that habitat and it would become more uh, fragmented, which is not good for all wildlife. So what practical mitigation strategies can ranchers employ uh, to protect their livestock short of a, a gun and bullets, which is relatively cheap and easy solution. You mentioned flagery earlier. You want to maybe describe what that is? Sure. Flagery, you have flagery and you have turbo flagery. Flagery is a long, thin line, usually a nylon plastic, and it has a red flag hanging from it. It's attached to the line and it hangs down about 10 inches. It's about two inches wide, about 10 inches long. Okay, for some reason, when this flagery is put out around livestock, for some reason that movement, wolves won't enter it. It, it scares them. There's cause for concern. They see it and they, they, won't, they won't penetrate that to go in after the uh, livestock that are in there. Then you have turbo uh, flagery, which is interwoven with metal cord. So if an animal does come up to it and touches it, especially grizzly bears, they'll receive a heck of a zap and it's, it pushes the animal back and it makes them not want to go there. Condition response, condition response. So it'll protect not only the, you know, the, the cattle are in there, but it, you know, if you have chickens and you have uh, lamb and, and other animals, it'll protect those animals. You have fox lights, you have special lights that blink during the night. Um, and what it does is it, causes these animals to have concern. Is it worth going there? There's a lot of things they can do. They have, you know, rubber bullets that they can use. But I have to be honest with you. 
a Fox light is $100, 80 to $120, okay? A bullet is less than a dollar. Exactly. So there's a tendency in, especially in wildlife service control actions, Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, it's just easier to kill that animal. Well, it's changing slowly. And people are, you know, livestock producers, to their credit, are, are, really, are really doing well. While we're on livestock producers, I want to tell you something. We had a Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks commissioner who was probably our closest ally in wolf management. His name was Rich Stuker. And Rich, like I said, was a livestock producer, but he understood the value. And his, his decisions and his votes changed the way wolves were managed in Montana. Um, he's, so what I'm saying is don't see livestock producers as the devil. They're not. A lot of them are just really concerned. I mean, there are bad ones, but the younger ones are just really concerned for their future. This is, this is all they know. So there's, there's a bit of fear there. I, we need to embrace them and work with them whenever possible. I would think that the state stepping in and even paying for some of these mitigation techniques would be cheaper or just as much as what they're paying in bounties. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but you got to remember now, when the Livestock Loss Board makes a payment, a reimbursement payment for a loss, that comes out of the general fund. That's taxpayer revenue. Bounty programs currently are paid by private organizations. So there's a couple of things going on here, Richard. What we think is going to happen in the next legislative session, what we're going to see is that that burden of financial responsibility, the government's going to take it over. Montana State is going to be responsible for raising that money and paying that money. So it's going to be taken off the private sector. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Currently, the way it's paid is there is no checks and balances. There's no overview on these organizations. Where is this money going? We don't know. We think it's mm-hmm. going to bounties, but we, they do not have to open their books to us for, an, you know, for us to review them and see what, where this money is actually going. Okay, I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, you tell me if I'm, I'm wrong, but didn't Colorado just, uh, was it last year? have a referendum on reintroducing wolves to Western, uh, Western Colorado. And it just barely, it just barely passed, but it passed. Yes. And And it is moving forward. And I think it's moving forward and they're going to introduce wolves by the end of 2023. That's the goal. Um, And I, and I, I will tell you this, there, there's talk, there's actually pushback from the Montana livestock producers and the Montana stockmen, because the wolves that are going to be reintroduced into Colorado are actually coming, going to be captured here in Montana. So even though it would be less wolves in Montana, because and it's only a few, Montana livestock growers, uh, the association is upset about that. Why should they care? It's right. not Montana, it's Colorado. Right. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful for Colorado, because there's a different dynamic to Colorado politically. My biggest fear is what Montana is today is, is Colorado in 10 years. That's, that's my biggest fear. That keeps me up at night. Are you optimistic? Yes, because I think the dynamics to the population dynamics to Colorado is different. 
Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, the Rocky Mountain states, they have a tendency to be very conservative, extreme conservative. And if, if you follow Montana at all, and I'm not proud of this one bit, we like lead the nation in hate groups. So we're very extreme in the upper north, northwest corner of Montana. I mean, there's, there's Nazis, there's just bad people up there. And um, I'm not very proud of that. So what I'm saying is we're very conservative, but we have an element of, of, of extreme in our society in Montana that, it, that isn't favorable, it isn't beneficial. So um, you mentioned relistwolves.org. Anything else our listeners can do to, to help with your campaign? Sure. sure. There's, there's a few things you can do. Um, call your local senator. Call your local House of Representatives um, in Washington. Tell them what's going on isn't, isn't good. Tell them that the states, the Rocky Mountain states, Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, can't manage large carnivores, especially wolves. We need to relist them. If we don't relist them, we're going to lose that howl. We lost, what, almost 30% of Yellowstone wolves. Think about that. That's 30%. a shame. 30%. Four million people come to Yellowstone every year to see Yellowstone wolves and other critters. But right. We don't even talk about that side of the economic equation. The, right. in, the tourism uh, there in Gardner and uh, Bozeman, West Yellowstone, that are yep. coming for that reason. So I, I encourage them, you know, I, I'm, I hate to keep hounding on the relistwolves.org, but that's the way to go. It's the easiest way to uh, send a message to the Secretary of Interior, uh, Deb Haaland, and Martha Williams, who is the past director for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, who is now the director of the Federal Fish, Wildlife Service. Send them a message saying, hey, enough's enough. These wolves can't hang on very much longer. I'm going to tell you, Yellowstone can maybe put up with one more year of losing 30% of their wolves. That's it. And these, you know, you got to remember, Yellowstone is a, you know, is a national park. It doesn't belong to just Idaho. It doesn't belong to Wyoming. It doesn't belong to just Montana. It belongs to all Americans. And if you value wolves, you have to stick up for them. You're going to have to fight for them. Or these special, the minority special interests, like Montana Outfitters and Guides, are going to be, are going to do their darndest to annihilate these animals and make them functionally ineffective. You know, if you know anything about wolves, there is a floor. It was always a floor, population floor of 150 wolves. 15 breeding pairs, 150 wolves for each state, Iowa, Montana, Wyoming. There was never a ceiling on the population, but there is a ceiling now. The departments want the floor, which is 150 wolves, to be the ceiling. I want you to think about that. That that is sad, and it's preventable. And we need to step up to the plate and speak up for these animals because they don't have a voice. We are their voice. Thirty, I think, thirty percent um, being killed one year should be a wake up call. Oh. If it's if it's not, I hope that you helped uh, perpetuate the, the the need for action. At, yeah. the, at the federal level, at the local level, and the grassroots level. 
So I was going to ask, you know, what's your closing argument? I know we have people listening that might be on both sides of this, that may agree with you and they might disagree with you. And I was going to ask you what your closing argument was if you were in court, but it sounds like you just made it. But if you want to take another shot at it. No, I just, I, I, I think as a society, we need to protect these animals because it, it says a lot about who we are and I'm not anti-hunting. Okay. If you're, if you're, you're killing an animal to feed your family, I, I get it. And there's probably people out, you know, in your audience that say, you know, how can that be? You know, I, I live in Montana. I drive into really rural areas. Idaho is the same. There, there are people that need this wildlife to exist. And we so, should, you know, we should embrace that, but not at the expense and not at the profit level should we have to do that. The outfitters and guides are clearly in charge of Montana fish, wildlife, and parks. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Especially if it's a minority that's driving. Oh, it is. It's all about policy. money. It's about the policy. About the policy has been driven by a minority of people and a majority of Americans and perhaps even a majority of Montanans, I'm not sure, would want to see coexist and cohabitate with wolves. That You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The dynamics in Montana are saying we want wolves on a landscape, but we want to manage them. Okay, I am not comfortable with manage, but I understand that. But slaughtering them is not management. That's mismanagement. And it's being done for a limited audience of unethical trophy hunters and to raise revenue for the Montana outfitters and guides. So to take action, realistwolves.org. And for more information on Wolves of the Rockies, it's www.wolvesoftherockies.org. And I hope you will go check them out and make your voice heard on this issue. Any last words, Mark? I want to say something about the photographers out there. Good. You ladies and gentlemen are awesome. I go to Yellowstone. A lot of our billboards, a lot of our advertisements, our signs, our video signs in um, in airports saying realistwolves.org. They come from you folks and they're wonderful pictures and you folks never ask for anything other than to say, you know, could you put my name on this so people know who took this photo. So I am very grateful to the wonderful friend. And I, I would tell you who they are, but I'm sure I pr would forget one and it would upset them. And I, and I understand, but you folks are the greatest. You are really, by you taking photos and showing these animals, you are helping these wildlife and especially wolves, you are helping them get relisted. And I'm very grateful, so thank you. Well, that's appreciated too, thanks. Mark Cook, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I want you to keep up the good fight, my friend. Thank you, bud. You've been listening to Beyond the Lens with me, Richard Burnaby. Thank you to my guest, Mark Cook, for a fascinating conversation. And thanks to you for listening. Tweet me at Burnaby Photo with any suggestions or feedback. And if you enjoyed the show, please share a link on social media. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, beyondthelens.fm. Take care and see you next time. Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. 
Find out more at podcastpartners.com.